Thank you for listening to The Wonder Podcast. I'm Joe Vacanti. It's our desire that you would take this message and that you would choose to live the life God always imagined for you. Where were you when the earthquake happened? There were probably many stories that were shared this week. I'm thankful for how fast the news spread that it actually was an earthquake. We were all in different spots and locations. I've heard that some people slept through it. Some people's dogs that they thought would defend them, would guard them no matter what, slept through it all. And I didn't know that we were on a fault line or close to a a fault line. But we learned that apparently we are. And it left us all with the same question. What does this mean? That same question was asked in 33 AD. News of the world started to spread from one person's testimony to another. Didn't travel as fast as ours did, but news started to spread. And years later, as they talked about what happened, years later, a newspaper would circulate around and a reporter, his name was Matthew, would share the details of that day. He said in Matthew 27, Jesus is uh, on a cross and he's giving up his life in his last moments. And Matthew reports, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. And the tombs broke open. Imagine the conversations in those moments. Where were you when the earth shook? Some people said, I I was standing at the cross. I was there. Some, where were you when the earth shook? I, I I was watching from a distance. Where were you when the earth shook? Some said, I was I was walking home. Some people were just in their homes when the earth shook on that day. And maybe there were some that were pondering, is there a coincidence that when Jesus gave up his last breath, the earth shook? And there were some that there was no correlation at all. They weren't even thinking about the fact that Jesus died. They just knew that the earth shook. And so there they were. And some people were asking the question, what does this mean? But then Saturday came as they had conversations. Then Sunday came and they were having conversations. And then they're thinking the light bulbs had to start to turn on for some people. Because Matthew reports about something that happened 
three days later on Sunday. He says this in the next verse. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I mean, what does this mean? All of a sudden, everything changed. All of a sudden, some people were sitting in their house and they hear a knock. They're like, Mom, uh, it's Uncle Zebedee. He's here. He's back. Like, he died a couple weeks ago. He's standing at our door. Like, what does this mean? How about if you're Uncle Zebedee? Uh, Hey, everybody. I remember that I was sick. I remember holding my wife's hand in those last moments. Telling her how beautiful she was. And then I remember walking out of a tomb. (laughs) And I'm here. Like, what happened? What actually happened to me? Who, Who got me out? Like, what's going on in the world right now? You know, it wasn't just Uncle Zebedee. I, I heard that Joseph, a cousin, and I heard that down the street, someone's Aunt Mar- Martha and Mary came, and, and Zacchaeus, like, what is going on right now? People are alive that were dead. And news of the world spread. And they had to, like, explain this phenomenon. Like, how do we explain this? And then word spread. Those followers of Jesus, they they said that he, their leader, has risen from the dead. What does this all mean? Who who is this Jesus? I mean, I heard he was a holy man, and, and there was his crucifixion, and I've heard his disciples telling everyone he's been raised from the dead. Who is this Jesus? And what does this all mean for us? You gotta know and believe that It changed everything for them. Tombs being cracked open, people coming back to life, it changed everything for those people. They knew something has changed, will never be the same. Who is this Jesus? For the disciples and his followers who followed him said, this changes everything. He was who we said he was. And it did change everything. What does this mean for us today? 2,000 years later, what does empty tombs and tombs cracking open and people coming back to life, what does this mean for us today? I think we all know the answer to this. If we look around at, at, at people's lives, it means that we, you know, we work a job, we raise a family, try better eating habits to stay thin. We apply wrinkle cream and, and on Sunday we show up at a place to listen to a talk for an hour and we sing songs. And then we just repeat the cycle. We go back to work, put on our wrinkle cream, comb our hair, cut out the ear, hairs are coming out of our ears. We try to raise our families. Nothing changes. No significance. In fact, it's kind of an inconvenience. I mean, we got to figure out how do we set aside an hour out of our busy schedule every week to come to this place and it's an inconvenience. I mean, are, are we convinced that the earthquake 
And that moment carries the same significance for our lives today. The question of what does this mean? Does it carry the same significance for our lives every moment, every day, through every situation? The quest to learn about Jesus. Does it carry the same life-altering direction today as it did for them? Because he left everything behind. They said, this, everything we were doing doesn't even matter. We have to find out what it means to follow him. We have to do what he said. It changed everything. And it leaves us with a great question. What is it going to take for us? What is it going to take for us today to decide that a resurrection, that tombs being broken open, that people coming back to life changes our lives forever. And the next passage gives another eyewitness. It says, when a centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. What is it going to take to awaken our hearts. I don't know about you. I don't want to have to be terrified to realize this is real. I don't want to have to be just in a cemetery somewhere and it shakes because I'm visiting relatives and tombs break open and all of a sudden this music pops in my head that was written by Michael Jackson. It's close to midnight. And it's like, this is not good. This is not good. I'm terrified. I don't want to be scared into this. But sometimes that's what it takes. You know, I've never fought in any wars, but I've had relatives and ancestors who fought. And you know, when, when people are in times of war, I mean, people become people of faith. When they're in foxholes and they're in situations like this is it. Like when things are flying at me and things and there's so much unknown, unless God comes through, this is it. What does it have to take? And I think this is where our prosperity and our wealth of the context we live in, I think this is where it works against us. We just have to recognize it works against us. I mean, Jesus made a reference, right? How, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. It wasn't because people who have wealth don't enter the kingdom. You know, if we were honest, when, when things are peaceful and, you know, we sing beautiful church music, so we go on vacations, we travel, our context does not create desperation. The context that we live in doesn't create any desperation, doesn't create any hunger. Like we're not hungry enough. I'm going to say something that you shouldn't do because I have to say that because I'm a pastor. But if you don't pray today and you don't pray tomorrow before your meals or I'm just going to make a bet. There's going to be food in your house. But if you don't pray the next 10 days, there might be enough food in your house for like a week, two weeks. If you took everything out of your cupboards and made hodgepodge things, I mean, we probably have enough stuff in there to last a month. If you're Italian, a month and a half. There's so many closets under the basement, and there's, there's all kinds of places. We're storing everything. We're not desperate enough. And this is why for centuries, for centuries, including today and, 
and, and church leaders and parents for, for, for centuries have been wrestling with, you know, how do we make disciples? You know, Jesus' last words, right, were make disciples. And we, we wrestle with, well, how do we do this? And we think, well, it's, it, maybe it's better programming. It's more materials. We, we got to invest more money in, 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 the, in the youth facility. Like we need more, better lights. We, we invest in systems and programs, and we have all forgotten something. Because we've done all those things. We've done them all. And yet there are people and youth who still don't follow the way of Christ. It's because we've forgotten that if, if people aren't hungry, they won't eat. If people aren't desperate, they're not going to pray. If the context of our lives is not laying it all on the ground for Jesus, it's just not going to happen. If the decisions that we're making with our lives are, hey, unless he comes through, I'm toast. That hunger is not going to be there. You know, we, and, and by the way, I, I, I like where we live in, in this day and age. So I'm not, I'm not an advocate for, we all have to, the typical saying, we all have to sell everything we own, go live in a box somewhere in another place. Like that's always the default. That doesn't actually help people. Let's, let's stay wealthy. Let's be generous and help other people be lifted up out of boxes instead of us going into boxes. We have a challenge where we are. And is that we have to willingly choose to be desperate for God. We have to just make the choice. We have to be willingly choose to be hungry for God. Because we can't force feed adults. Now, I know you would all think this would be fun and be funny if I did it. But imagine if I took, you know, one of the twins' baby bottles and I had some, you know, almond milk that I poured in there. And I called all the guys in the church up to the front. Okay, like, hey, let's come up. Sam, Morris, come on up here. And I just start feeding Sam Morris the baby bottle, and he's, you know, drinking. And I'm like, good, good, good job, Sam. Good boy. Good job, buddy. You know, and then David, David Moore, hey, you're a strong lung job. Open your mouth, David. Here you go. Drink, drink. And after, you know, all right, let me burp you, David. Come on, a little burp. Beautiful. We think we can force feed people, adults, but they have to choose it. And if, if Kate and I could want anything for our church, for our family members, for the people that we love, is that we don't want anyone we know to ever live a life without meaning, without freedom, without health. And we know that that journey only begins when we as adults choose to be hungry for God, but also open up the scriptures for themselves. I mean, that's God's word. That's God's way of us finding healing within. That's God's way of changing our minds and changing our hearts and, and us dying to ourselves and living to him. That would be the greatest desire for us, for our church, for those that every person would be able to recognize and hear the voice of God and walk in it. And it's his scriptures that he uses to accomplish this. But we all have to choose it. We all have to get up and make a choice. I'm going to be hungry for God. I want to be desperate for him no matter what. I think we all know that the world is devouring itself. So let's create a new one. The world is devouring itself. So let the scriptures speak to you and say, you know what? Together, the scriptures could talk out loud. See, let's create a new world together. 
Let's create a new world inside your soul and let us create a new work world outside by what this can transform you to do, the person it can make you become, the mindset it will give you. Jesus does his most transformative work inside our souls. We need to open it up. It is essential for us to read the scriptures. I've been opening up the scriptures since middle school and I can say I'm still discovering. I'm still learning. I'm always trying to find a new way or a new resource to, to make it come alive again. Cause I, I never want to just like, yeah, I know what this says. Like I, I always want to be as curious as I can be. We need a church of curious people who are always looking for the new, looking for what he wants to tell us. But we all have to choose to be hungry. And if we don't choose to be hungry, God's very clear on this. It says in Proverbs, in Proverbs 1, they rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. I can't think of anything more terrible for people than to see the people that they love, coworkers, friends, neighbors, having to eat the bitter fruit of their decisions. When people make destructive choices and you see the destruction that their lives take, it's tough. If you're a parent, one day you'll be a parent, your grandparent. You know, it's hard for us to accept when we see grown children doing this. These are our kids. Parenting advice that we've learned over the years was this idea of don't bail, let them fail. Sometimes, you know what's going to create that hunger to change their ways? Reality. It's when someone is eating something bitter. Ugh, it's terrible. And they get to a point, they feel like their life is terrible and it's not working. And we don't rescue them and they say, gotta make a change and when we let people eat the bitter fruit as tough as it is it does create the opportunity for life change it does create the opportunity for them to say i think i gotta go a different direction so if life's not working for you we need to start working and the job we need to start is working on our our own souls it's a great place to start start with the scriptures meet with God, and work on getting free. I was recently talking to um, a younger couple, and they were asking a question, and I shared with them, Kate and I, you know, we've been married 21 years. We've never done a Bible study together. I thought, should I share that? (laughs) Do I share this advice? They expect me to say, you know, we read the Bible every night together. Before we go to bed, we pray together beside the bed. But we've never actually read the Bible, uh, the Bible study together in 21 years. And we don't set aside an hour each week. So this is a confession. We don't set aside an hour each week to do a Bible study together. And the reason is, is because we decided that we're going to set aside every moment, every decision Every day, everything we do will be informed by Jesus' way and his thinking and an example. We made a decision that an empty tomb, 
an earthquake, people coming back to life, we cannot reduce our faith to just an hour a week in a Bible study. We have chosen to give our lives to him. Now, if you desire to read scripture, a Bible study is actually a great place to start. There's Bible apps that have great tools on there. There's devotionals. That is a great place to start. You have to start somewhere. Now, religion, religion always wants to make things like a checklist. It it reduces faith to, oh, check off the box, I'm done. But I want to remind us that the work of the scripture inside of us is never done. It's always going. It's ever ending. It's always working on us. It's not something we just check off and we're done. Let us be a church that begins to create a new world, a new future for others by starting with ourselves and planting the seeds of scripture in us first. Let it transform us first. Now, Jesus, before he died, shared this verse with his followers. In John 12, it says, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus was letting everybody know that his death would produce many new lives. The time is now to plant some new seeds inside your soul. Don't wait until you're terrified. Place God inside your soul. Give Jesus your life. Let the scripture's seeds of love, hope, and meaning begin to live inside every one of us. And Jesus reminds us that death is necessary for a harvest. So let us say death to our way, death to our anger, our bitterness, our jealousy, our envy, our divisiveness, our complacency, our lust, our gossip. The world is devouring itself. Let the scriptures create a new world in us and around us. And let us be people who choose dying to live. Thanks to all who give to Wonder Church. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Let this talk do only what Jesus can and live your life in such a way that'll make the world wonder there must be more. Thank you.